You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, it says, The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. They were gathered together at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. And he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to fight me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. If I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, They were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons. The man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring, bring back news of them. And Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went to Jesse uh, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out uh, to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills Him, the king, will enrich with great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the man who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in this manner, saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard When he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come up here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down now to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go fight against this Philistine. Or you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth, 
and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a, with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. And he took his staff in his hand. He choose, chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore his shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly will know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine. He took his sword and he drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And when the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron, and the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. And Saul saw David going out against the Philistine. He said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Lord, we thank you for giving us these accounts in the history of Israel, of people that trusted you and relied upon you. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom that comes down from above. And we pray that your wisdom would come down from above this morning to capture our hearts and to capture our imaginations and our our thoughts, Lord. We think of this particular event and the the impact of fear and the impact of uh, just the gathering of data, the observations, the analysis of the data, and then the fear that was produced. And Lord, it's such a powerful story of somebody who could see what no one else could see, who could think like no one else was thinking. And we know, Lord, that this is not extraordinary, but it's actually normal. And that what everybody else enslaved by their fear is not normal. Lord, we thank you that there's a new normal for the followers of Jesus, that our brains can be uh, rewired, Lord, that we can learn how to think properly. You've given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And we pray that we would experience your power this morning as we look at your word and your love would fill our hearts and our minds would become engaged. 
Lord, I pray that we would have a fresh perspective of the lives that we're living and and our our perspective of these things, our perception would be true and that we'd be able to see uh, what David could see. We could see things as they really are. That And we think of Saul, Lord, what a contrast in this, these moments where uh, Saul failing so um, terrifically, so terribly, and and yet we see someone like Jonathan, his son, um, being victorious. And here in this story, David, men of faith, God, and we want to be men of faith, people of faith. We want to be people who are filled with confidence and boldness. So help us, Lord, encourage us and inspire us as we consider this passage of Scripture that's familiar to most of us. Lord, we pray that you give us fresh application and fresh insight and and that in the moment that we're living in, Lord, we'd be able to move forward and and take territory instead of being plagued by by fear like this whole group was for 40 days, immobilized and unable to move, their feet stuck in cement and and trapped by their fears, Lord, except for one person. And so we want to be that one person and we pray the principles would be clear to us and that you'd help us and we we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I personally uh, love this story. It makes me think so much of Jesus. Uh, the ministry of Jesus is so so radical, it's so revolutionary. I think of uh, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gathers his disciples and they're seated on the hillside in the Galilee. It's not the famous part of the country. It's not where all the important people are. It's where the Prophecy said that the light would shine in Galilee of the Gentiles, and, and it's, yet it's not the hub of activity. It's not the center of the religious life. It's where the blue-collar workers are, the people that, when they're being used, the leaders are going to say, how do these guys get like this? <laughs> these, guys are, these guys have no education. They don't have any formal training, you know, but they have so much power, and God's using them, and we can't fight against them. And uh, and and I think of in there in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' first words out of his mouth, this manifesto of the kingdom, of, of being a disciple. And the first words are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word blessed means to be made happy. Poor in spirit, you could define as unhappy. <laughs> How could you say such a thing? Like, that's a, is he like a weird Zen tripper? You know, is he like eating mushrooms in the Galilee? Is that why he's up there? Is he high? What's going on with this guy? What does he mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who've come to the place spiritually of total desperation, they're the happy ones because the kingdom of heaven is going to belong to them. When a person gets to that place and says, it's got to be God, there is no other hope. When a person gets to that place, Jesus said, now, now you're blessed. The next word out of his mouth in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the, literally happy are the sad. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Somebody who's looking at their life, themselves, their world, their failure, their traps that they're in, and they're just broken about it. The person who becomes broken is the person who's blessed. They're the one that's going to find the comfort. When you get to the end of yourself, I mean, we're contrasting David and Saul. Saul literally in the story, I mean, it's a famous story. There's a million applications out of this, this chapter. But Saul literally tries to put his armor on David. He's, I just want to raise my hand and go, excuse me, isn't that your armor? <laughs> like, aren't you the dude already that's bigger than everybody else in Israel? Aren't you head and shoulders taller than everybody else? You're going to give your armor to this kid? He can't even wear it. He can't even walk. He's like, puts it on and it's like, it's, we're getting close to the costume party holiday. You know, you imagine these, see little kids. I always love seeing the really little kids and they have a costume that's their big brothers or something. You know, like, see the little kids with a, costume that's too big for him. Here's, here's David, puts on this armor. Saul, it's Saul's armor. What, Saul's not using his armor. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. The hungry are going to be filled. The mourners are going to be comforted. The broken are going to be given the kingdom of God. And then you look at, look at all the stories of the Bible and the realities that come out uh, the, that are illustrated in these events that take place. Goliath, of course, strikes fear, and it's a legitimate fear. There's no getting around that. He's huge. Uh, it's, it's, he's, a, he's a ridiculously huge. Uh, in verse 4, it had said that he's uh, six cubits in a span, which is over nine feet tall. This guy would make Shaq look 
small. Like, like you think of the biggest human being that you've stood near. This, this guy's massive. And, and, and even his weapons are massive. It's hard to even imagine them. And, and they give you even the weights. You know, it's kind of a shocking thing. He, he's, he's uh, unconquerable in hand-to-hand combat. He's challenging them to hand-to-hand combat. Now, if you follow any kind of hand-to-hand combat, there, the hand-to-hand combat is always with some kind of weight class. If you're going to box, that guy's a featherweight. This guy is a middleweight. This guy is a heavyweight. The featherweight doesn't fight the heavyweight. It would not be a very... I mean, the featherweight would jump around. He'd be super fast. He'd, you know, he'd go a bunch of flurries. The heavyweight would just bide his time until finally he got close enough and he'd sock him once and the guy would be in the seats. You know, like he'd clobber him. The power, the difference of strength. And if you're wrestling... This guy's the 112s, you know. This guy's the 134, whatever, you know. This guy, he's the 175 class, or whatever. It's not, it's just not fair. This is a big guy, this is a little guy. And if you're going to have this kind of martial combat, hand-to-hand combat, uh, here's Goliath, he's nine feet tall. I mean, he's, what do you weigh, like 500 pounds? I mean, this guy's like, he's a mountain, and he's got this weapons, and even if David could run around him sooner or later, He's going to hit him, and all you got to do is hit him once. If Goliath hits you once, you're he's going to hit. You got a shield. He's going to hit you. He's going to break your arm. You don't stand a chance. So there's a certain reality here that their fear uh, is completely logical. It's completely understandable, and fear is a gift from God. When you're afraid of something and so you avoid it, that's a sign that you're not a moron. Okay, that's like a good thing. You all have friends, right? Crazy-eyed friend whose eyes don't go together, you know, and you're like, I'll do it. You're like, no, we no, don't say it in front of him or her because they'll just do it. Uh, you know, you think, well, like, that's not a sign of his courage. He just has half a brain or that part of his brain tells him not to do stuff isn't in operation. Fear is a gift. There's even a proverb says a wise man fears. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. There's a wisdom there, right? The wise man looks at it and goes, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not called to this. Fear, fear is something that helps you. It, it, it protects you. It guides you. A fool who doesn't recognize the reason to be afraid, he just goes right on. Like, oh, I could do that. You're like, oh, you, you do this every time. You get us into so much trouble. It's a, it's a mark of foolishness. And there's that sense with, in which fear is our friend. We realize the danger. We recognize it, we count the cost, and we make a different decision. There's some part of that's a wonderful gift from God, but in this context, it's bad. In this context, their fear is hindering them. There's just one person in the story that's that's doing a proper analysis of the data that is being given. This fear that, that the army has, that Saul has, is unwarranted because Goliath is challenging God. He's defying the armies of Israel. Israel. Jacob is the name that his parents gave him. God gave him a new name. His new name, Jacob, his new name is Israel. Governed by God. Prince of God. They're a nation of people that God is their God. The only, in the history of the world, a theocracy. God is the God of these people. These armies are the armies of God. They're the armies of Israel. They're they're God's armies. And this guy's challenging God's armies. And so David hears what's happening and and something else is happening with him. The fear that's captured these people is a fear that hasn't taken God into account. Be careful of that fear. The fear that hasn't taken the promises of God into account. The fear where you say, well, I know God's word says that, but I don't know how that. Like, oh, stop. Hold on. You know that God's word says that, but you're going to be afraid anyways? Well, that's the fear that paralyzes. That's the fear that hinders. That's the fear that cripples us. It hinders us. It holds us back. I'm super thankful that, you know, it was great to have Danny here today and give us a report because when he was, when he told me first that he got invited to uh, fill in for the guy who normally sings with Kenny on this new tour that Kenny, I think it's Kenny's capitalizing on the, the new uh, Top Gun movie, you know, and so what, I mean, whatever it's, whatever it is. But uh, I don't, you know, I not really follow Kenny Loggins. It wasn't my music when I was a kid. I wasn't, I don't know. I was like, I didn't know. What songs did he have? Footloose, you know, like, that was a weird movie in the 80s. Like, 
Kevin Bacon was in that. I remember like, I, don't, I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know if I was saved and when I saw that. I don't know. I don't really remember all that. So it's kind of like, I kind of thought like, these songs are corny or whatever. So I just, I thought, what song, what has my friend gotten himself into? So I just did a, like a quick Google thing. And then I, the first, the first video YouTube that I watched was Michael McDonald singing with Kenny, this super famous song. And Michael McDonald sings like, oh, like he's, he's got the highest voice. So I was talking with Danny. He's like, yeah, I'm singing. I'm singing. I'm going to be on the stage with Kenny singing the Michael McDonald parts. And I was like, no, you're not. Quit now. Like quit. Don't do it. Like, are you out of your mind? Like, it's an iconic song with a guy with an iconic voice that is like at this rate. Like, are you crazy? I didn't tell him that. I was like, oh, you could do it. I had lying to him. It's like, fear, fear of your failures. No, I'm not afraid of that. You, you know, you're, God will, God will take care of you. Fear can be crippling. It can hinder us. What an awesome thing to say, well, I think the Lord's telling me to do this. I think God's provided means for me to be able to do this. I'm going for it. Isn't that, that's, that's how you want to live your life. You don't want to be living your life saying, how do I save myself? How do I save myself? This is a risk. This is a risk. I got to preserve myself. I can't, I got, I've got this identity that I've created. I can't risk it. I got to save myself. Don't live like that. That's this whole army that's paralyzed and won't come out and fight. And you, they could, they could give you all the reasons. You could say, I don't disagree with that. The dude's huge. You don't stand a chance. Except for one thing. God's promises. The identity of God. Our identity because of God's identity. What has God said? And David enters the scene. And all of a sudden it's different. There's a lot here that we won't have time this morning. I don't want to focus on so many of the things we could unpack. You know, the battles that he has to fight before he fights Goliath. He has to fight his brother. Then he's got to fight Saul. He goes two rounds with Saul. First, Saul tells him no, and then Saul tries to get him to rely upon something other than the Lord. I mean, like, he has a two-round fight with Saul before he, he, David's like, he's warmed up by the time he fights Goliath. There's a lot here. But I love this about David. David shows up, and something's different. Forty days, the exact same thing has been happening, but you look at verse 23. While David's talking, he's greeting his brothers, he's greeting the army, he's giving them the, 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 bread and the food that his dad gave him to bring to his brothers. But verse 23, here's the turn point in the story. As as David was talking with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. He spoke according to the same words in the last sentence. David heard them. That's the difference. That's where the story changes. There's a whole army been hearing the exact... Goliath doesn't change his speech. I defy you. Send someone out to fight with me. We'll be here. He does this whole big spiel. He's been doing it 40 days. That's over a month. These guys are on this hill. They can't, the Philistines aren't going to run up that hill and try to fight him. It's too dangerous. Philistines are on this hill. These guys aren't going to run up and try to fight him. That's too dangerous. They want to meet in the valley and have a fight. But this guy just walks out by himself for a month and 10 days, 40 days. Every single day, the guy does the same thing. And then the last sentence of verse 23. Difference is David heard it this time. He heard the words and his brain is firing. His neurons, like he, his sound mind. David's looking at it going, I, what? Ain't nobody going to fight this dude? <laughs> wait, wait, what? what is, and, and there's enticements. Hey, you could get this much money if you do it. I ain't doing that for money. I'd be a fool to fight Goliath for money. You get to be married to the king's daughter. You don't pay taxes. I don't care how good looking she is. I ain't going out there. These are enticements. You do this and you can have this. You do this and you can have this. David, is, the enticements don't mean it. Like David's asking like, wait, what's this? What's the story with this? And no one's doing anything. Didn't you guys hear what he said? What did, what did they hear? I don't know that their, their neurons are not firing. Fear cripples us and, and hinders us from receiving what God wants to do. Everything's the same on this day, except that David's now there. David sees the same thing everyone else sees. He's nine feet tall. He's got this armor. He's got a guy in front of him carrying a shield. His sword is so big. His spear is amazing. Like this guy's a, this guy's a, he's unbelievable. 
David sees everything everybody else sees, and David sees something that nobody else sees. David saw something. David's not denying the data. I remember when I was in Bible college, we'd hear this phrase a lot. I went to a school that was had a, had a philosophy of ministry and a methodology that we were being trained in that very much emphasized man's responsibility, man's part of things. And there was often the theological basis, and I say that sarcastically, like caustically sarcastically, so forgive me, but the theological basis was God gave you a brain, you need to use it. That was our theology behind our methodology. God gave you a brain, you need to use it. Now, that verse is not actually in the Bible. Uh, That's not actually a verse. Uh, It's a philosophy, though. God gave you a brain, you need to use it. Now, I I don't disagree with the, the, the sliver of truth that's in the middle of that. God did give you a brain. You should use it to make a very wise decision based upon all the data. Too often, that statement is just meant like, just do what you think you're supposed to. Like, just analyze, trust yourself, rely upon yourself. David was not denying that the guy's as big as he is. David's not, not recognizing the, the odds that would be against everybody. But David is clear thinking. Because he said, who is this guy that he's defying the armies of the living God? I, he hears what Goliath's saying and he hears it differently than everybody else. Fear will actually make you stop thinking. I've seen this happen. Uh, I'm sure our friends that have served in combat and have been in those really horrific, super challenging situations of battle where I've had friends that served and they, you know, had comrades that just collapsed. Just the, the challenge of the, of the danger and the difficulty. It's just, it's, it could be overwhelming. But even in spiritual warfare, even in our own personal lives, fear will make you not think clearly. You just become afraid when you, you get captured by that, those emotions. And then all of a sudden you're no longer thinking like, well, what's really true? What do I know that's really, really true? What's really actually happening? I don't know what's really happening. I'm afraid. You know, and, and, and your, our brain will stop working. Faith. That's what David's expressing here. It's got a confidence. He's got a confidence in God, a confidence in the call of God on his life and for the nation. And faith isn't against data. So often people will say, well, I'm just a thinking person. I'm not a faith person. Well, I would just, I would challenge that. Faith simply means when I make a calculation, I include all the information, which is what has God said about this? What promises has God made me? Because I know that there's an unseen world. There's a spirit world that is actually more powerful than the physical world. I've been given weapons of warfare that are not in the flesh but they're mighty through God and they pull down strongholds. I know that Jesus said, if you drink the water that I give you out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. And that doesn't flow down from Folsom. Okay, like, what is he talking about? The woman he said that to. Like, this well's deep. How are you going to give me this water? Jesus said, go call your husband. (laughs) He started talking to her about the living water and revealed himself to that woman. Jesus, Jesus, brings to us these ultimate realities so a thinking person why like how could you call yourself a thinking person if you don't consider god that's like an unthinking person it's like i'm going to purposely pretend like this isn't here all this information all this data and i'm going to live my life as if la 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 la. i can't hear it la 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 i'm gonna and this is all that there is faith is not against the information faith is actually open to all the information all the data including God, including his promises. And I would say David's acting very rationally. You could look at the thing. I would imagine all the soldiers are watching and thinking, what is this kid going to do? Who does he think? Like, his own brother, like, what are you doing here? What are you uh, down here popping off? Like, who's watching your sheep, you little baby brother? He has to overcome his brother. His brother's impugning his motives. Think of all the things he goes through in this story. David recognizes when he goes to Saul, Saul tells him you can't fight. You can't fight this guy. Verse 33, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth. You're a kid. You have no experience. You've never, you've never trained in this kind of combat. This, this guy's not only been training, he's been training people. This guy's, he's been fighting since he was a kid. He's an experienced warrior. And listen to what David said. David 
recognizes something that is is a it's a process of reasoning that's true for all of us. Like David's not exceptional in this sense that what's happening in here is an outlier that never occurs again in anyone's life. This story is an illustration of a normal occurrence that should be happening for us, I would say probably daily. For sure every week. There's a process happening here. When Saul says, you can't do this, David has said, I'll fight him. And, and Saul said, you can't fight him. And here's, look at David's reasoning in verse 34. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by its beard. I struck it and killed it. Your ser- servant killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And here's the, here's the key. Seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David recognized in the moment, this is an opportunity for God to work. This moment right now is an opportunity for God to work. How many moments of those do you get on a daily basis? I'm thinking you're getting more than one every day. This is an opportunity right now for God to work. I've seen God work and do the impossible, right? David had never fought Goliath. He'd never put on the armor. It's true. He's, you're just a youth. You've never been in the army. You're too young to be in my army. I can't send you out there. You're not even old enough to be in the army. Your older brothers are in the army. You're, you're not qualified. That's, that's all true, except this is an opportunity for God to work. I've seen God work. And do the impossible. And so I will take this step of faith and I will see what God will do. This is exactly the same formula that we see played out in chapter 14 when Jonathan and his armor bearer go out to fight the, the Philistine army, just the two of them taking on the whole army, which is, I guess, a little different than David went to fight one guy. They went and fought the whole army. <laughs> this is an opportunity for God to work. I've seen the Lord work and do the impossible. I will take this step of faith And I will see what God will do. Your Christianity has to incorporate this practical uh, process on a regular basis. Or, I I don't know, I guess we're just playing at being religious. Um, You know, there's something about religion that seems to appeal to people's flesh. Like, well, I just don't do those things. So that makes me better than these people. Well, I don't think that's what Christianity is. Well, I, I like to be thought of as I know more than everybody else. Well, that's certainly not what Christianity is. It's not a knowledge contest. What is it? What is it to follow Jesus? It's to be in a personal relationship with God, to walk in communion with him, to walk in oneness with him, to hear what he says, and then to walk with him. And so you don't think that if you're walking with God, God's going to say, I got something on my mind today. And there might be a whole army that's paralyzed by fear because they haven't been able to enter into it. But David recognized that there was an opportunity. Can you recognize when there's an opportunity for God to work? And then he tells Saul, I've seen God work. He'd never seen God kill a Philistine before. He's never, he's never been in a battle. He's never, he's never faced a nine foot tall guy. But he says, you know what? I've been doing, I've been, I've been stepping out in faith. I'm taking care of the sheep. That's my responsibility. I'm accountable to that. That's my sphere of influence. And I saw an opportunity for God to work. A lion took one of my dad's sheep. I put a rock in my thing. Wah! I took him. I knocked him senseless. And when I went over there, to, I got the sheep out of his mouth. And the lion started to arouse. And I, Wah! I killed him. I dispatched him. I killed a bear. Now, if my son did that, I would fire him from being a shepherd. Like, like... Son, I can replace the sheeps. I don't need you going and killing the lion. Like, just let him have the sheep and, uh, and I'll take it out of, you know, I'll pay for it. It's not, you know, you're not on the hook for it. I wouldn't want my son to be grabbing a lion. I didn't know lions had beards and I hope I never find out. I mean, he grabbed him by his beard and smote him. Like, that means a lion is within arms, a lion's face is within arm's reach of your face. I don't ever want to be that close. I don't even like, like Sacramento Zoo has that glass, right? I don't like them when the zoo's with glasses. I like zoos with moats and distance. <laughs> and they're just looking at you like, oh, I'd eat you right now. I was like, I know you would. 
This is an opportunity for God to work. I've seen God work. I've seen God do the impossible. You can see God do the impossible at your house. There's impossibilities in your sphere of influence right now. There are impossible things that are opportunities for God to work if you're willing to see what David saw. If you're willing to take the blinders off and say, well, what do I know about God? What do I know about his heart? What do I know about his desires? And if if God's heart and his mind and his desires are like this, and then this situation is like this, these are that's incompatible. This situation is incompatible with God's heart, his expressed wishes and and what his what his desires are. So this opportunity for God to work. But it's impossible. Well, no, 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 no. It's, nothing's impossible for a God. He could do anything. He, I will take a step of faith in and I will see what God will do. It's immediately checked by Saul. The reliance upon conventional weapons. As soon as Saul sees the kid that he's got this faith, look, I'll fight him. He's, he's, he's not going to be different than the lion or the bear. The Lord delivered me. The Lord's going to deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul says, all right, go for it. And then verse 38, Saul immediately, immediately upon the desire to take a step of faith is a person there ready to, to encourage him to take a methodology that will quench what God wants to do. <laughs> I think it's super interesting. It's, it's very interesting to me that people who will not take a step of faith and go fight have such strong opinions about what methodology should be used. It's very interesting to me that people who will not go fight, they will not take a step of faith, they have such strong, definitive opinions about the methodology of someone that's going to go take a step of faith. <laughs> oh my goodness. No one does it that way. Well, you know, when you do this, normally, when, if you're going to do that, this is what you need to do. Everyone who does this does it this way. What are you going to rely on? Saul says, well, if you're going to go do this, this is how you do it. Why would I, why would I ask you? <laughs> you won't go. Well, you go do it. Well, I'm not going to go do it. But if you're going to go do it, you got to do it like this. Churches are filled with people like that. This church. Those, they didn't come today. They're at the triathlon iron no i'm just kidding i don't know pick on you guys don't don't join this group if you're if you've been in this group quit mail back get you know unsubscribe from the mailing list and mail back your membership card do not be a person who will not take a step of faith and then leans on someone else who's taken a step of faith that their methodology is wrong oh my goodness it's interesting his brother and his king are are deterring him from what god's wanting him to do I wish I could say this never, ever happens. I wish I could say this will never happen to you. But I've experienced it. It's a great challenge. God's doing something, though. David puts these on, and he quickly realizes. He puts it all on, verse 39. And his words are pretty funny. He goes, I can't walk with these on. I'm not trained. I haven't tested these. I'm not trained with this stuff on. If I'm going to go fight this guy, I'm just going to go fight him. I'll just take what I got. I'll just kill him like I killed the lion. I hit the lion in the in the face with a rock. I'll hit this dude in the face with a rock and I'll go kill him. <laughs> okay. It's interesting about means and methods. You have to know this about God. God's ways are not like our ways. This is a wonderful, huge privilege and blessing we have to be the followers of Jesus. He scrambles the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says, you need this, you need this, you need this, you got to have this. If you don't have this, you put all these things together and then this is going to equal this. And then we, we're followers of Jesus and we go, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about all that stuff. I haven't tried that armor on, man. I, don't, I haven't trained with that. I'm just going to go out there in the name of the Lord. And we'll just see what, what happens when you're clothed in the name of the Lord armor. Let's just see what happens when someone trusts God. Let's just see what happens when someone will listen to God and care about God's glory and God's honor and is going to make room for what God will do. Now, here's the thing. Is David anti-armor? No. Will David be in battles of the rest of his life? Yes, he's a warrior. He's a warrior king. Uh, will he wear armor in those battles? Yes. Well, is David, the rest of his life, David's the sling master, watch out. You know, he only fights with a sling. No. 
He, he becomes a tremendous warrior using all the weapons. He's not anti, anti-wearing armor. But in this story, in this moment, absolutely. Because God's doing something. See, goes back to the, those, that statement that I said earlier, those, uh, those three, the three parts. This is an opportunity for God to work. If it's an opportunity for God to work, there's some implications with that. Lord, what do you want to do? Like, how do you want to do this? What do you, what do you have planned? What's your methodology? Asking the Lord for his plan to unfold. Because he might just say, I want you to not do it like that. But then you just think, well, then how would we do it, Lord? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I, here's what I want to do. And then that way that doesn't make sense. God reveals it by his spirit. I've seen God work to do the impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> because it's impossible, how are you going to create a mechanism to do the impossible? We've got the impossible machine. Oh, really? Yeah, it does everything. It's called Google. It knows impossibly everything. You know, you, you don't need to, you don't need to ask old people for wisdom anymore. I, I had a young guy tell me about five or eight years, probably eight years ago. This young guy in his twenties. He just said, yeah, I think it's a, just a new time because in the old days you had to rely upon older people for knowledge, but now you've got the internet, you've got all this knowledge. And I looked at him and I thought, yeah, how's that working out for you? <laughs> I mean, I like the kid. I don't, didn't harshly judge him. I was like, oh, well, you know, there's wisdom too. It's not just knowledge, there's wisdom. Being able to apply it. You know, you sometimes mentoring and help and getting input from others is helpful. All great expressions of faith are going to, are often, almost always challenged about what are you going to rely on? What are you going to rely on? And David says, God's doing something. God's going to, God's going to just use me. And, and David's going to make this. He's going to realize that the moment that he's in is actually a moment that God's going to use to make a great statement to the nation. And he, he verbalizes it when Goliath, they come out and they meet each other and Goliath is, is abusive. He's verbally abusive to David. He, he curses him and says these things. But look what David said in, in verse 45. David says, you're coming to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He, the, the, the Philistine said, you come to me with sticks. What am I, a dog? And David's like, I didn't come to you with no stick. I didn't even come to you with a sling. He says, he tells him flat out. He says, verse 45, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. That's my first point, he says. My first point, Goliath, is I've come in the name of God that you defied. You're going to find out who God is today. You're going to find out who I am. But you're going to find out who God is today. Then, he says, verse 46, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. I'm, and, you know, he talks trash back. I'm going to not only feed you, but all your army to the... And at the end of verse 46, we'll cut off the, the you know, little trash talk. The last sentence of verse 46, or the last phrase, he says, this, this will be done so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. God's going to use this moment that I'm in right now to accomplish something that's far beyond what I could accomplish. So I don't need Saul's armor because what God's trying to do has nothing to do with Saul's armor. The methodology being chosen by God for this moment is a methodology that's going to accomplish God's purpose. And God's purpose is so that the, all the earth will know that the God of the God of Israel is the God. Now these Philistines are having trouble learning this, right? They captured the ark in a battle. How'd that go? Well, they took it into the temple of their God, you know, King Triton uh, from the little mermaid. And, uh, you know, they're, they're seafaring people. And he's a fish man, half man, half fish God, Dagon, their God. And they go in in the morning and they put the ark in there like their God's conquered God. And the ark's sitting there, and they come in in the morning, their God is laying down, bowing down before the ark. And they go, oh, that's weird. How'd that happen? And, and they put their God back up, and they come in in the morning, and their God is decapitated. And his hands are missing, and his body's laying on the threshold. So in order to enter their temple, they've got to climb over their dead God. That's got to be disheartening a little bit. You're like, who are you relying on? Uh, the headless uh, fishman God. Uh, what happened to him? We well, put the ark in the temple with him and he he was decapitated. And then remember, God was a real pain to them. And they sent the ark to the next place and to the next place. And, to, and finally the guy's like, just get rid of it. 
They should know this by now. These Philistines have learned. Jonathan and his armor bearer, two guys had attacked the armies and driven them away in chapter 14. And now here's Goliath. God wants these Philistines to understand who he is. God doesn't want to be their enemy. He wants to reveal himself to them. Do you think a Philistine could come to his senses? He, especially if he's on the sea and he sees the horizon, he thinks of the creatures of the sea and the amazing universe that he lives in, that he could start thinking, I don't want to worship these fish. I want to worship the God who made the fish. Right? Like, that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. That, that's what God's actually doing. And then he says about another group. Look at verse 47. And this is also part of David's story. And this is where we'll apply it to our lives. And all this assembly. Now, that's an interesting. The whole earth will know this. That would include the Philistines. And this group, this assembly, will know. Who's the assembly that David's referring to? That would be the army of Israel. What have they not, what have they not known, obviously? Well, for 40 days, this guy's been challenging their God, and every single man in that army, including the king, has been watching it, crippled by their fear, realizing there's nothing that anybody can do about the situation. And David says, these means that are about to be employed are going to do something that's amazing. That all this assembly will know, and what will they learn? Verse 47. This is a very important lesson for us to learn. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. Well, that's interesting. Because once a business becomes popular, they write a book on how they use these five things to make their business successful, and then the book becomes a bestseller and they sell eight bazillion of them because everybody else wants to find the methodology that's going to produce these results. That's the way of the world. Here's the message from the people of God. Methodology, methodology. <laughs> what methodology? Like, well, we're going to write a book on how it works. What is it? Whatever God feels like to do in that moment. That's the book. It's a short book. It's a bestseller. It's called the Bible. Like every story. How, how do you win a battle? Well, it depends. Well, what do you mean? Is it land battle? You got to be like this. No, no, no. Is that like, well, if it's in the mountains, it's like, no, no, that's not. The methodology is going to accomplish God's purpose. So God might use a shepherd boy with his sling to take out a giant. He might use two guys to attack an entire army. He might use Jehoshaphat putting the worship team out front. And they march down to the battle and God said, don't worry, just sing and worship. And, and, and they just go, Samuel's on the mountain and they're, they're praying and they're offered the lamb and God wipes out their enemies. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins. The story of the Bible is there isn't a methodology that we lean upon. Here's our methodology. We lean upon the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. We lean upon the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. The Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. The battle's the Lord's. That is a powerful truth. And David being used this way, David recognizes that God's wanting to do something in this moment, and it's much bigger than that particular battle, that it would be a, a theological lesson of verse 47, that this assembly will know that the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. It's a message from God, this battle. God chose a, a method to communicate to his people for all time that, you know what? Let's just be open to what God might want to do because God could do anything through anybody at any time. So is there an opportunity for God to work? I've seen God work and do the impossible. I'm going to take a step of faith and see what God wants to do in this moment. Well, you can't do it. Lord, you're just so proud. You're so like that. Eliab will come and give you the challenge. Your motives, you know, or, or Saul. Well, I, if you're going to do that, well, here's how. How would you know? You've never taken a step of faith ever. Saul's the king of king of Israel, and he's the king of not taking steps of faith. David recognizes somehow it's the Lord, and it's a very fast battle. He runs out there. David pulls a stone out, hits him right in the face. Down he goes. That would be a shocker for everybody. Like, Whoa, what in the world just happened? <laughs> David runs over to the dude, pulls the sword out, stands on top of him, and whack hacks through his neck and picks up his head. 
You go, man, that's the best Sunday school class I ever went to. <laughs> what happened? Listen, do you want to be Saul or do you want to be David? Because the choice is yours. You get to decide who you want to be. Your choices on a daily basis. You get to choose to be, I'm going to be self-reliant and rely upon my own energy and I've, I've accumulated this. And okay, great. Go for it, Saul. Or I'm, I'm recognizing an opportunity for God to work. I've seen God work and do the impossible. I'm going to step out in faith and see what God wants to do. You don't have to do that when you face Goliath. You, need, you have plenty of opportunities right now. Lord, help us. Help us, God. We come to these passages of Scripture. They're so key, so meaningful. David, uh, who will have a son, the son of David, who will become our Savior. He becomes such a great uh, example to us in so many ways, and in particular, this event. And just so much about his life, Lord, but especially here, to recognize the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. And Lord, we, we see the wisdom of that, the nuance of it. It's not that you don't ever use swords and spears in fact, probably in Israel's history, most of the time you do. But it's still, even when they're using their sword and spears, it's not that you've saved with sword and spear. The battle is yours. And we confess, Lord, our, our nature is such that we're constantly forgetting that. Forgive us and have mercy on us. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that our ears would be open to hear what your spirit would say to the church. That we would not be a people that would that would be like Saul, but that we would be a people that would be more like Jonathan and more like David. Men that would be able to recognize there's an opportunity here for God to work and recognize I've seen God work and I've seen him do the impossible and that we would, I'm going to take a step of faith. We would be willing to step out into that, knowing, Lord, these truths that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The people that don't have a leg to stand on, that rely upon God. The people that are mourning, they're, they're the ones that are comforted. The people that confess and recognize, oh God, I can't do anything without you. They're the ones comforted. The ones who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness are the ones who are filled. God, may we recognize the true nature of your kingdom and walk in it and walk in fellowship with you. We pray you'd help us and, and pour out your spirit on us, Lord, that we'd be able to go, go in faith and see what you'll do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.